0: The year is a third over, and that's signified here in the northern hemisphere with May Day, a celebration of summer being on the way. Not to be confused with Mayday, 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 a distress signal, also known as an emergency procedure word, that was originated in 1923. This was founded at a London airport when they tasked a senior radio officer to find a word that could be understood by pilots of all languages. Since most of the air traffic in 1923 was coming into London from Paris, he suggested Médés, which is French for help me, a shortened version of "Venez, Médés, come and help me. So people started saying Médés, Médés, Médés. You've got to say it three times so people don't misunderstand you. This replaced SOS, which was the Morse code equivalent of the Mayday call. And in 1927, there was an official changing of the guard when the International Radio Telegraph Convention of Washington adopted the voice call Mayday as the radio telephone distress call in place of the SOS radio telegraph. Bye-bye, Radio Telegraph. We don't need you anymore because Mr. Marconi has made all this voice travel possible. And look at where we've come. Today, though, I want to celebrate May Day by talking about Maypoles, Pan Flutes, and the Haymaker Affair as we take another swing at Josh and Around. May 1st is also celebrated in many parts of the world as International Workers' Day, Labor Day, or simply Workers' Day and often referred to as May Day, though you might think they were trying to co-opt another popular holiday, instead, The date was chosen by a pan-national organization of socialist and communist political parties to commemorate the Haymarket Affair, which I referred to in the opening as a haymaker affair, and that's because sometimes on this show we do swing and miss. Nonetheless, the Haymarket Affair, also known as the Haymarket Riot, was the aftermath at Haymarket Square in Chicago of police killing workers at a labor demonstration near the McCormick Harvesting Machine Company on Monday, May 3rd. 1886. What were they wanting? They were striking for an eight-hour day. That's what the whole protest was about. And instead, the police came through and killed four people in the demonstrations. More than 100 were arrested that day. So the very next day, the demonstrators came out again. And this time, somebody threw a dynamite bomb at the police, killing seven of them. That caused for numerous more arrests. And four of those arrested did get the death penalty. Well, at least something good was to come out of it every time you clock out of your eight-hour day. Thank those near Haymarket Square. Referring to that affair, a professor of labor studies, William Adelman, said no single event has influenced the history of labor in the United States and even the world more than the Chicago Haymarket Affair. It began with a rally in 1886, but the consequences are still being felt today. And while the rally may be included in American history textbooks, very few present the event accurately or point out its significance. And that's one of the reasons I bring up history on joshing around, because a lot of times I felt around this point in school, my history teachers were just racing to get through the second half of the text. We just got hung up on the American Revolution or the Civil War or something. And the next thing you know, it's nearly June and we haven't even got to 1878. While it didn't come up in my education, I hope there's a history teacher out there somewhere who informs his students that when it comes to his class, those who can't remember the past are condemned to repeat it. If you weren't the best student, or if you just studied to pass the tests, it may be important to go back and read some of those books we were assigned in high school. One of them may be The Jungle by Upton Sinclair. This is the story about meatpacking in America, in Chicago to be specific, and it also involved the story of an immigrant family Headed by Jurgis Rudkus. You can read this and really feel what they were feeling there at Haymarket Square. He may have been one of those folks that was milling about at the time, though, of course, he is just fictional. I helped sell a part of the American dream yesterday to two immigrants, a waiter and a housekeeper, and their three children, all under four years old, who are moving from a tiny apartment to a beautiful town home with a pool and a room for each of the kids. I couldn't be happier, and I'm sure they're going to do much better than Mr. Rudkus in that part of the American dream that was foreclosed from him in the jungle. The Adventures of Huck Finn was a book I struggled to begin after it was assigned to us in high school English class. It wasn't until the day before we were supposed to be finished with the assignment when the teacher said, "'If you haven't finished the book by tomorrow,' don't bother showing up for class. So in true Huck Finn fashion, I took the day off, parked my car by the river, and cradled up in the back seat as I read all of those adventures of Huck Finn and his friend Jim. As for Jim's nickname, well, that's a word I simply don't say. Even when referring to my favorite Old Dirty Bastard album, I still call it Cracker Please. With all the words in the English language, It's odd that there's one that I just can't use. However, that just goes to show what awful people my ancestors were. So even with my best intentions, I'm sure I'd end up using it the wrong way and end up calling out May Day. The celebration of May Day as a welcoming of spring and summer is an ancient celebration that goes all the way back to the Festival of Flora, celebrating the Roman god of flowers to commence a good May Day celebration, you need to erect a maypole. This is a tall wooden pole that's erected in the middle of the festival that folks can decorate and dance around. When it comes to the origins of the maypole, this is fiercely debated by folklorists. And when I start thinking about folklorists, I come to believe that wherever this debate was held, there's a certain stink in that room. Now, just because these people are talking about history full of trolls and dragons doesn't mean I should make fun, because the closest I've ever come to slaying a dragon is descaling my Keurig coffee maker. Ignoring the accused odor and attire of those folklorists, let's instead look to what they thought the origins of the maypole to be. Some have suggested the maypole represents the world's axis, or the Earth's rotation around the sun, saying that by dancing around the maypole, we're making spring and summer possible. Others thought it was just a nod to sacred trees. The Norse, for example, thought the universe to be a world tree, known as Yggdrasil. They thought this ash tree to be at the center of the cosmos and the gods gathered there every day. Other sacred trees like Thor's oak or Jove's oak thought to be in Hesse, Germany. I say thought to be because in the eighth century, St. Boniface came through Germany and started chopping down all the sacred trees. Thor's oak he made into a church. Others he just gave away. In fact, it's thought that St. Boniface, the patron saint of Germania, also invented the Christmas tree. And it sounds like he did it by cutting down pagan gods. Well, that's one way to present your point of view. Nonetheless, I won't say fittingly, but St. Boniface was martyred by an armed robber who killed him and his whole crew on the side of the road, hoping for gold, but instead, they just found books. So it looks like he was doing something else with those pulpy pagan gods. Philosopher Thomas Hobbes and psychoanalyst Sigmund Freud thought about the maypole the same thing you were probably thinking when you heard me mention an erect wooden pole, and that's that it's a phallic symbol. In fact, Hobbes thought the maypole to be a nod to the Greek god Priapus. Priapus was a minor rustic fertility god, protector of livestock, fruit plants, gardens, and male genitalia. In fact, Priapus is marked by his oversized permanent erection, which gave rise to the medical term, Priapism. Priapus can be represented in art through the symbolism of fruits and vegetables, think bananas and eggplants, and also by the donkey. But I'm here to tell you, Priapus is all man, unlike Pan, who's half goat, half man. I'm sure, though, that he's hung as well, and that proves true in the story I'm about to tell. That's the origin of the Pan flute. In an ancient Me Too-type situation, it seems Pan was a bit of a randy goat man, he was chasing after a nymph named Cyrenix. Well, this nymph didn't want to have anything to do with Pan, so in an attempt to escape, she jumped into a lake and transformed herself into a water reed. Yes, well, Pan saw this happen, so he snatched up several reeds tied them all together, and then started to blow on her reed, making melodious music. It's been Pandemonium today, and that was a part of the plan, as we talked about a man with a big Peter and Pan, the half-goat, half-man. The prefix Pan means all things. So when I mentioned Pan Nationals earlier, that's all the nations. Another term with Pan in the title has come up recently, and that's Pansexual. This is different from Bisexual wherein you'll have sex with all the people but this isn't new to me just the prefix in front of it because as a fan of rem i remember michael stipe in the late 80s early 90s proclaiming i don't have sex with men or women i have sex with people what's the frequency Kenneth? rem was my first concert ever which somewhere out there is one of my internet security questions i think that might complete the set so If you've listened to over 13 hours of joshing around, congratulations, you can now hack most of my accounts. However, after 13 hours of listening to me, I wouldn't consider you a hacker, but instead some sort of super fan. Nonetheless, I do want to tell you about this concert. It was great. It was over in Tampa, and it was before I was 16, so we had a parent's friend drive us. It was actually Mr. HSU, and he said as we got to the arena that after the concert, he knew a spot that had great pancakes, and he would take us there, and we were like, Mr. Shu. I don't really know if we're going to be in the mood for pancakes." And he said, oh, they're great pancakes. In fact, he put it just like this. You like, 100%, 100% you like. I just titled that last segment, Pancakes After REM, and now I can't tell whether Mr. Shu was trolling us with an amazingly hidden grasp of the English language. Did it really take me over 20 years to get the joke that after REM you need breakfast? Eight hours later, it's time to end the show and break the fast. While I awake to the world around me, I do recognize that some things have yet to change since ancient times. Namely, the persistence of protest, the power of police, and the perverted passions of man. As I repent to the sacred trees for the sins of my ancestry, I hope nymphs fawn over you at the Festival of Flowers. Remember to descale your Keurig, raise your maypole, and blow some reeds until we're once again renewed by the panacea of Josh and Around.